Hello, and welcome to the Daydream Believers podcast. I'm your host, Liz Chirelli. Here, you'll find a monthly dose of insight to help keep you motivated, inspired, and informed so you can continue working towards your dreams. We cover a variety of topics from mindset to health to strategy so you can become the person you need to be in order to turn your dreams into reality. Every now and then, we'll also bring in some music artists to showcase some of the finest electronic music out there. Thanks for listening, and remember to head to lizcirelli.com to download a free morning motivation that'll guarantee you start each day strong and stay on the path to success. Now, on to the show. Hello there, this is Liz, and welcome to another episode of the Daydream Believers podcast. On this episode, I am very, very excited to welcome into the chat Brie Noble. Um, she's a music marketing and business coach extraordinaire. And she is, and she and I are going to be covering some very juicy topics on this episode, covering mindset and how to smash through overwhelm, fear, and limiting beliefs. We'll also be touching on her five stages of music career growth. And we'll also be relating the marketing element of these stages to a career in any creative field. So those of you who aren't necessarily in the music field, do keep your ears peeled because there's going to be lots of nuggets of gold in here for you. So Brie, I'd love to hand it over to you and invite you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell people all about what you're about. Sure. Um, thank you so much, Liz, for having me. This is, this is awesome. So I am a, um, as she said, music business and marketing coach, um, but I'm first and foremost a musician and uh, not currently doing a ton of musician stuff other than stuff that I can do on the side. But I was for a long time a touring artist performing for a lot of, um, my style is more inspirational. So I performed for a lot of churches, a lot of community groups, uh, fundraisers, things like that. Um, and I did that for, you know, seven or eight years. And the thing that I think makes me different is I did that while my kids were little. So I get a lot of people saying to me like, oh my gosh, I just had a child. Is my career over? I'm like, gosh, mine just started when I had little kids because it took me a really long time to figure out how to, you know, build anything, any kind of career as a musician. I was kind of the practical minded person in college and got a double degree in music and business. And I ended up going into the business world and I worked in accounting and I became the director of finance at an opera company, which was cool because I enjoy, you know, going to the operas and being able to sit in the front row and go to all the fancy parties and stuff. But at the end of the day, I was handing paychecks to artists that were living their dreams and I was sitting behind a desk handing them paychecks when I really wanted to be out there being a singer-songwriter. So that's kind of what um, that and just a lot of stress working in a nonprofit um, kind of just pushed me to make this decision and actually having my first child. I was just like, this is just all too much at once. And I figured out an exit strategy and I left the opera and I, then I had the time to figure out because all this time in the background, I was trying to have this music career and I just couldn't 
couldn't figure it out because I was held back by fear. I didn't have enough knowledge. I thought that everybody knew more than I did. So I thought I was just going to like ride on someone else's coattails and I didn't need to figure everything out for my own. And I just got burned multiple times Mm -hmm. as I'm sure many of you guys have, you know, can identify with being in, you know, different bands and being burned in different ways. And so finally I was just like, I need to figure this out for myself. I need to do this for myself. I need to build my own career and I need to finally marry everything that I knew about business and marketing with my music career, which somehow that just went out the you know, went totally out the window when I decided to be a musician. Like suddenly I put my musician hat on and took my business hat off. So once I put those together, um, started just like, I'm going to build this one fan at a time from the ground up kind of thing. And that's how it all started. And um, just to kind of give you a segue of how I got here while I was doing all that, um, I just, I've always loved kind of just seeking out new music by indie artists. And as I was building my career and meeting a lot of other indie artists, I was like, wow, there's a lot of really amazing female indie artists out there. And they're just, I'm not hearing them anywhere. There's no platform for them. So while I was, you know, touring and building my career as a musician, I started Women of Substance Radio in 2007, which is an online radio station. And in the meantime, that's grown. Uh, It's been now 11 years and it's grown into um, a an award-winning number one podcast, and you know we're on episode number eight hundred and sixty-five or something. Wow. And so it, that's been something really fun that I've done. That started out as a total hobby, mm-hmm. and I ended up taking the station professional, and you know we've got sponsors and all that. And it's just it grew into like now I have this community of artists. And how can I help and serve them? Because I'm finding again that they had so much great music, but they didn't know how to get it out there. So that was kind of how I went from musician to actually helping other artists with the Women of Substance platform kind of bridging the gap there. That's such a fantastic story. Really inspirational too. So... (laughs) It seems like you made a really brave, brave move when, you know, just at the point of having your first child as well, you decided to go in to, to do the music thing full time. How did you, I'd love to actually touch on like how you actually blasted through the fear, the inevitable fear that you must have been feeling at the time. Mm. Well, I'd love to say that I was brave, but it was really more about ingenuity because what happened was um, I realized by accident when I was out on a walk with my daughter in the stroller, there was a, an open house down the street from where we lived. And when I went and saw the price they were asking, I'm like, holy crap, like, could I really get this much for my house? And then I realized that the, the housing bubble, you know, was really on the rise big time in where I was living in Orange County. And my house had almost doubled in price. And so wow. I'm like, this is my way out. You know, I was dealing with a lot of stress. It was causing me health problems because I was working at a nonprofit that never had enough money. You know, if any of you guys have ever worked at an arts organization, it's like feast or famine (laughs) because we're so, you know, we're so dependent on donors. And, um, you know, when all the ticket sales come in for the season, you're like flush with money. And then when there's nothing happening, you don't know how to keep the lights on. So Mm. that stress was taking a toll on my health and having a baby. I was just like, 
this could be it. You know, we can move out of this area, move somewhere cheaper that was closer to my husband's work. And I managed to be able to work out when I hired somebody to take my place. I was managed to be able to work out still working there part time and doing some things that she didn't really want to do over, you know, over the internet. So that was helpful to have that like part time job in my back pocket. But yeah, it was all ingenuity. I, I don't know that I could have just said, that's it. I quit. I have faith in my music career. I don't think I'm that brave because I, at that point I didn't have faith in my music career. I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know why what I was trying to do wasn't working. It took me time to really just bathe in the fact that what I was doing wasn't working and that there had to be another way and have that like space to think about how I should be doing it. And I think I only got that once I quit my job. Mm, interesting so it's almost it's almost kind of like once you let something go I'm quite a spiritual person so I relate to mm. things in kind of metaphysical terms it's like once you let something go the universe has to sweep in to fill that void mm. with something so yeah it's amazing how sometimes many of us for various different reasons hang on to that one thing that we consider it, it represents security for us but by doing that we are oftentimes perpetuating situations of stress for ourselves, mm. for example, like you with your job. And so we hang on to this thing thinking that it's actually the thing that's bringing us security. But then as soon as we let that go, it causes us to start thinking about things in a different way and therefore opens doors for us <laughs> in a way. It's true. I think that what you're right. Like it, it just allows you to get more scrappy. Like I got to make this work, mm, you know, exactly. you've got this the security. I mean, at that point I was making more than my husband. I was a director of finance. He was a new English professor, you know, at, an, at a, you know, his first year in a university. So I was making more. So it was just so much easier for me to be like, like, this is the only way. Mm. And like you said, like, then you don't, when you are left to no other choice, but to figure the thing out, then you can, you can get like suddenly all these ideas that never popped into your head because at first you probably thought they were ridiculous or that would never work. Now it's like, well, I've got the space and I've got like this push to try all these things to see if they work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've got the incentive. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you, when you in first started with the music career, you were kind of expecting to almost ride on the coattails of other people. At what point did you realize that it was up to you to take ownership of your career? You know, I mean, even after I left my job, I still tried some things that just didn't work. Um, so I think, I mean, I think at one point I was almost pushed to that point by such a bad experience in a band. Right. Um, but then I still, I still didn't have the confidence to think like I could own the stage. Someone would want to just come see me. Like I thought I needed to be a lead singer for someone else's gig. And I went to another event one time and I saw somebody else doing kind of the exact kind of program that I wanted to do. And that's when the light bulb turned on and I'm like, okay, she doesn't have a band. She doesn't have an, you know, an entourage. Like she's doing this totally herself. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of started stalking her. Like <laughs> I just started going online and like, okay, what kind of gigs does she get? Where does she perform? What, you know, what groups is she in? Like, I just kind of looked to see how she was doing this because 
from my perspective, she was everywhere. Like in the world that I wanted to perform in, which at that point was like churches and women's groups and, and community events and stuff in my area, she seemed to have a ton of gigs on her calendar. And I was mm. like, how is she doing this? Mm. And so once I kind of saw that example that like, oh, she doesn't have a label. She doesn't have a band. She doesn't have any, she's booking herself. Like, like, I don't think she's smarter than me. I could do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you start it all from that point? Where did it grow? How did it grow? Um, well, the first thing I did is I put together my own band, which was just because I, I always liked playing with the band. Um, and that was great. And it was a great experience for me to like, be running it and be like, this is my vision. And, you know, you guys have to be all on board with, and it was great because they all loved my music and they were totally behind it. But I soon found out after doing a few gigs that it's, it was a completely inflexible situation because what I wanted to do is I wanted to go tour. You know, I had a small child. I wasn't working full time. I worked on the internet. Like I could go do a two week tour if I wanted to. And it was not a problem, but they couldn't, they all had day jobs. Okay. So I was like, you know, I love this band, but this is not going to be it for me. I am going to have to be a solo artist if I'm going to do what I want to do and have the flexibility. So the biggest thing for me at first, and I worked this out somewhat while I was in the band, but learning to play and sing at the same time was something I didn't, hadn't learned how to do. Mm. <laughs> and so I could play and I could sing, but I wasn't that good at playing and singing at the same time. So when I got to this point with the band, where I was like, there's just no way that I can go any further with this. I have to take total control. I just had to like knuckle down and practice and practice. I mean, I probably made my wa my daughter watch me practice a million times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my 10 songs on my CD that was coming out to make sure I could play them live mm. and play them in a way that wasn't, you know, that wasn't distracting from the vocals and, and stuff and looked like I knew actually knew what I was doing. And I was a decent piano player, but I just hadn't learned to play and sing. I just thought I could never like coordinate those things, yeah. but it turned out it was just a matter of focus and practice. Yeah, for sure. And how did you initially go about finding gigs? Um, well, I, I probably used that stalking technique and I'm sure I went after a lot of the same gigs, gigs that, you know, that girl and other similar artists that I had been watching mm. were doing. Um, one big thing that worked for me back then is that I had a two year old. So one great, idea for getting gigs for me was going for mother going for mothers with uh of preschoolers because mm -hmm. it's a group where they had free childcare. so um yeah so i went after a lot of those but the biggest thing that i did was that i didn't brand myself just as a singer songwriter i actually came up with a program i came up with like an inspirational program where i was speaking and singing oh, and like keynotes Yes, a keynote concert. So Fantastic. I didn't. Call, I kind of call it a signature concert, but it's pretty much the same thing. And I, my coming up with that, what I think was the biggest breakthrough for me because I wasn't like having to sell myself. I was selling a product or a program. Mm. And instead of like telling them all about me, I'd be like, here's you know, here's what I taught. Here's what you'll learn from the stories, and you know here's what other people have said about this program because I did have a chance to perform it once at a, a fundraising event. So that was kind of where it all started. 
I'm like, this could be my signature concert and mm. I could just market this instead of marketing myself. And that was a big, big shift. That's, that's a genius idea. <laughs> so, so your concerts were themed. What was the theme kind of centralized around? Um, it was called You Are My Vision, and it was actually centralized around the fact that I've grown up with, um, with low vision. Okay. So I'm actually legally blind. So oh. that I told a lot of stories about growing up and, you know, surgeries that I had and amazing things that happened to me um, in the workplace and stuff like that. And then, you know, my songs kind of centered around that and it's, it's very inspirational. But the cool part is like people who have visual impairments aren't the only people that can relate to this. Like this yeah. is pretty much anyone that goes through any kind of trial. So I'd have people yeah. coming up to me, talking to me about the fact that they've, you know, they're dealing with depression or mm. You know, they got into a car accident and, you know, or, or all kinds of things. Mm. Um, and so it was, it, be, it evolved into just more of this inspirational, like how, how we deal with trials in our lives and the people that come alongside us and inspire us and, and help us and that kind of thing. Um, so it was like, it was related to the vision, but it, then it turned it out to be more like, you know, you are my vision and that like the people in my life that have guided me along the way, starting with my mom and then, you know, bosses that I had and things like that, um, that really kind of fleshed out that you are my vision theme. That's so beautiful. That's gorgeous. Really inspiring. Would you, would you give that as a piece of advice specifically for musicians, I guess, who are perhaps struggling to find gigs to maybe embellish what they're offering a little bit? I absolutely would. I mean, yeah. I, I, now I work with some of my private students to help them develop their signature concert. And because I think everybody's got a story. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, it, it could be anything. It could be, you know, I mean, I've had some students that are like, yeah, I grew up in a cult. And I'm like, that is a really wow. amazing story. You know, I mean, that could yeah. really help some people totally. that are struggling with oppression, you know, I'm, you know, other people that, have dealt with cancer and, you know, there's just so many, we all have something in our life that can inspire others. But the problem is that we always think we're boring. Like we can't see it from the outside. Totally, totally. And I also think I kind of discovered a little while ago that it's like vulnerability really connects people. And when mm -hmm. we allow ourselves to become vulnerable and share our, share our vulnerable stories, it really resonates often with the people that we're sharing those stories with. And I think it's a combination as well of what you mentioned of people don't think that they've got anything interesting to share. And also this insecurity that we all seem to have of like, oh no, I can't tell that story because it's just going to make me look stupid. Mm -hmm. But in fact, when we lower that barrier and allow ourselves to tell that story and share that story with people, other people respond by saying, oh my goodness, I, I, I had such a similar experience or, you know, maybe not a similar experience, but, you know, oh my goodness, like there was this one time I also felt the same. And, and then this, this beautiful connection starts forming and we all start to realize, actually, I'm not alone in what I'm feeling. Everybody else is feeling, feeling the same. It, it might have been caused by a different set of events, but we all have the same kind of 
emotions, basically the whole spectrum from, from the positive to the negative. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I think when somebody especially gets up on stage and kind of bears their soul and shares their stories and shares their vulnerability with the people that they're playing to, it really creates something magical, a magical connection and, a, and an opening of the heart. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it, there's always byproducts of that. For me, it was obviously, you know, then people want to buy your CD because they want to yeah. take it home. It just like, you know, the memories of the stories come up then when they're listening to those songs. Yeah. So they want to re-experience that. Yeah. And then, you know, with being able to get referrals, like I got to the point where I didn't have to do a bunch of cold call bookings because I was getting enough people coming to my, my events and they're like, wow, I really know, you know, another group that would benefit from this and they'd take flyers and give it to friends. And I started getting enough calls that I could, you know, start booking like tours in other locations and, and stuff like that. So that, that's the byproduct and it's all about connection. Mm, totally totally absolutely i'd actually love to to touch a little bit on how you moved from being a performing musician to more moving into the the film field of music marketing and, and business business coaching and ingeniously come up with <laughs> yeah sure so i mean when i when i started to realize that there were so many people that i was meeting through women of substance that had this great music but they just had no direction of like how to market themselves, how to start booking gigs. They just had, you know, they put all this money into the CD and they had the CD and they thought the CD was going to open doors, but they didn't know that that was, you know, that was not going to open doors. It was just going to be the thing that they could utilize once they got the doors opened, but yeah. they thought the CD was going to be the vehicle. Yeah. And so they were stuck. So what I decided to do uh, in 2015, I launched my podcast, The Female Entrepreneur Musician. And that was um, to help other female musicians. Um, originally, it was like, I want to interview female musicians that have been successful in, in their career or maybe even just one aspect of their career that they're really having success in so other people could be inspired and they could learn from that. And that's how it started. And then I decided to start the Female Musician Academy, which is a membership site. And when I first started it, it there was absolutely nothing there. Like, you know, I had developed trust with the ladies um, that I worked with, with Women of Substance for me to say, hey, I'm starting this. Do you believe in this vision? Like, I realize that there's absolutely nothing in here yet, but you know, you're going to get the best price ever. And so I launched it and I got 18 members from the beginning. So that was enough to, for me to start the academy and start building courses inside. And, you know, it, that academy has been around for three and a half years now. And it's just amazing. It's grown into, you know, we've got like over 130 members and, uh, growing all the time. And so what I wanted to create there was not just like a bunch of courses to teach them how to do things, um, not just bi-monthly coaching calls, which we have where we have a group call on Zoom like this, but we're all kind of together. So there's like, you know, sometimes as many as 20 people together in a call. 
and people are able to ask their questions and other people can chime in and things. And, and I think that's great because it's not just me helping them or giving them what I think is my answer, but you know, there's other people that have had different experiences from me and they're able to lend their insight. So I love that about it. But more than any of that, it's, it's kind of like a sisterhood community. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I've created the Female Musician Academy and not just the Musician Academy is because I wanted to create a safe place for women. Because obviously with women of substance, I've always had just a focus on really helping female artists. And I wanted to create a, a safe place for women to be able to be vulnerable, to ask questions they wouldn't ask in mixed company, to be able to say like, hey, I'm having a crappy week. Does, you know, this is what's happened and get some support. And I think that is really, with all the other value that's in there, that's the most valuable thing. Because as indie artists, we can feel so isolated. We can feel, you know, I know when I first started, like I was clueless, I was isolated. I didn't know anybody else that was doing what I wanted to do. And this gives them not just the inspiration of seeing other people actually out there doing it, but a place to get support. A lot of people, you know, don't have support from their families. Their families are like, why are you pursuing music? That's stupid. Go get a real job. And so I wanted to provide a place where they could actually get the support they needed. So amazing. And was it from there that the, the coaching just grew? Yeah. So, I mean, in the early years of the academy, I had, you know, I built courses in there, but um, I found that if you put too much in there, it's overwhelming for people. Yeah. And so I realized what they needed was a framework. They needed like, okay, first I do this, then I do this, then I do this. So that's where I came up with the five stages of music career growth, because somebody who doesn't yet have a website and hasn't built at all an email list is not going to be able to do the same things and have success with it as somebody that has an email list of 1500 people. Like, Mm. you know, someone that has no website and no email list thinks that they can go out and do a crowdfunding campaign and be as successful as somebody who has, you know, 3000 people on their list and they've done this many shows. So I'm trying to save them from themselves in a way and save them from mistakes that I made in the early years. You know, I always very careful to say like, Hey, like I didn't do any of this right. The first time, this is yeah. why I came up with the framework because if I were to start over now, knowing what I know, this is how I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the big things about my framework that I think is different is that in my framework, you don't even record an album until stage three. And most of the time people come to me, like I said, having recorded an album, but with nothing behind it, no marketing structure, no anything. Mm -hmm. And so they thought that album was going to then open doors for them. Instead, they have a pile of CDs in their garage and they feel like a failure Mm -hmm. and they spend a lot of money. So my recommendation is to build your fan base first through, you know, in-person performing, build up your own um, abilities as a performer, step up your performances, you know, learn how to have rapport with the audience and just be a great musician first and learn how to be a great marketer by just connecting with fans, learning how to connect with them on stage, then moving them from on stage to off stage. 
getting them on your list. And then when you've got 500 people on your list, then we can be like, okay, so now I can, I've got, I've learned how to do, get some gigs. I've got 500 people on my list. Now it's time to record an album because I know I have places that I can sell it. And I know that I've got people that might be interested in buying it. Mm. Yeah, makes total sense. What's your advice for perhaps the musician or the creative that isn't necessarily performing or putting themselves in front of kind of large numbers of people at any given moment in time? I have to say like this, the five stages is, it's really very performer centric Mm. because I truly believe that if, if we are a musician and we're a performer, we need to be outperforming. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, with, this whole idea over the past few years of, oh, we can just sell music on the internet. We never have to go out and perform. I truly believe that like that needs to be central to who we are as a musician is to perform. So maybe you don't like to perform on stage. You can still do live streaming. Hmm. You can still build a fan base that way. But I think it's going to be much harder if you just make music and you're not performing anywhere. I'm not saying it can't be done, Hmm. but the five stages that I talk about really do performing is an integral part of it. And for the, for the musician that is restricted, I guess, to performing online by live streaming, what would you say is the most effective way to approach that? Would it be streaming through their to their public Facebook profile or via YouTube or you know what's the kind of best most effective platform and strategy to use for growing an audience if you're still relatively kind of unknown and new I mean I think if you're totally new streaming on your Facebook profile is totally good like Mm -hmm. if you've already built up friends I mean I think the other thing that happens and I see this all the time people don't want to go to the people that are already closest to them, their friends, their family, their family friends, their friends of family. They want to just go out to total strangers <laughs> and start building an audience. But it's so much harder, you guys, and you're going to have to spend a lot of money doing that. If you start with the people that already want you to succeed and you ask them to get on board. I mean, that's how I did it. Like my first, my first major performance of the year of my vision was at a nonprofit organization that my mom was organizing their event. Like, Mm -hmm. why shouldn't I use that in? Right. You know, we need to take the advantages that we have. Sure. Of course, then you get in front of those 300 people and then they love it. And then they want, you know, they ask, well, how can I bring you to, you know, a lot of them were people that, worked with other organizations. So they wanted to know how they could bring me to their organization. So you have to take those, those ends and take, and I get it because I kind of felt the same way. Like, Oh, I I need to prove myself. I need to, in order to prove that I'm worthy, I shouldn't, you know, take any favors or take advantage of any relationships. Oh, forget that. No, take advantage. Cause this is a hard road. You guys, this is like, there's a million other artists that want to do what you want to do. So take the advantages that you have, capitalize on them, be smart with them and respectful, obviously, like not, you know, just assume that you have it in. But every time that you get in front of people 
whether you, however you got there, that's a chance to make connections with those people and then get in front of more people. Mm. So you just need to think about it as like this web that you're building. Great analogy. And if, if an artist is approaching the, the live streaming route, how best then to kind of throw the web so that it is catching people? Would it be to be like, hey, you know, like in the comments, I'll be posting up a link to subscribe to my newsletter if you guys would like me to keep in touch with you on new updates on releases and new concerts, just head there and pop your details in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that I always tell my students and it's in my um, five stages, in the first stage, you get your first 100 subscribers. And you don't do that by putting out a Facebook ad. You do that by going to people you already know and getting them on your list. And, um, you know, that can be through Facebook messengering each person individually and asking them if they're okay if you put them on a list. Mm -hmm. um, you know, texting them. Like, think of all the people in your life that know you, people that you knew in the past, past jobs, past school experiences, mm -hmm. you know. And so the same thing with, with live streaming, like, invite all those people that already know you to come on the live stream and then don't be afraid to ask them to share. Because, you know, you might not realize it, but to them, like, the fact that they, they know you and you're a good musician is a little bit of cachet for them if they share you with somebody else. It's like, hey, look who I know. Look mm -hmm. at how awesome this person is. So, but we don't think that way because so we're just used to being a good musician. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but other people really are impressed by it. Yeah. And so, I, and I, you know, I'm totally guilty of asking, forgetting this too, but like, just make yourself a script when you do your live and put in there to ask them to share, mm. you know, a minute or two in, because if you don't ask, they won't do it. And a lot of times, if you ask, like a lot of times our reaction is to do it, not to not do it. You know, yeah, totally. why, why, why would we resist if our friend is asking us for something? Yeah, I absolutely agree. So would that be the first stage of the of the five stages, build the email list and do the gigs? Yeah, so the first stage is more about um <clears throat> is more about building your email list to 100 and getting um just good performance experience. Like if if you're somebody that never performed much, you just need to get out there to open mics and coffee shops and just get comfortable on stage, get confident and learn kind of like what your stage banter is. I think that's one thing that we don't work on, mm. you know, we were like shredding up there. And then in between songs, we, you know, you might look like totally uncomfortable. So you have to, you have to work on that in between stuff. It's just as important, if not sometimes more important than the actual music part. Mm. So, you know, doing, putting yourself in front of audiences that don't know you is a great way to work on that because they're not going to be as forgiving and yeah, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But um, so, I mean, another thing is that the people come to the five stages and they're, they're almost never in one stage. Like sometimes yeah. people are amazing consummate performer, but they have no marketing, no list, no nothing. And then other times people are like, they've actually, gathered this huge social media following, but they have never performed before. So, you know, I get all kinds of different people like that. So no one's going to fit into one stage, but 
you know, then the second stage is all about just promotion, getting yourself out there, live streams, getting some press, um, moving more on the performing side into maybe house concerts and smaller gigs mm. and, you know, building your email list to 500 people. And then when you're in the third stage, um, you are starting to do bigger gigs. You're working more on um, just more ways to build your fan base and get some help <laughs> because when you get into that third stage, like things are busy. Mm. You know, you're starting to get a following that you need to communicate with all the time. You're recording your first album or, or EP. You know, you're doing a lot of stuff. And so if you can find a volunteer or something to help you. I know my, I got my mom to, to help me with stuff um, in that stage when I was touring. She helped me a lot with just doing some like email maintenance and, and admin stuff. <clears throat> but like anything that you can take off your plate, mm. there's certain things that only you can do. Only you can write songs, only you can record them. Um, if you can take some of that other stuff off your plate, it really helps. Yeah. And then, you know, in the fourth stage, you start getting things a little bit more automated. You know, maybe you create um, within your email some kind of automated uh, funnel that you're putting people through when they come into your email list that's just introducing them to more of your music and, you know, getting them excited about you and your your coming to your shows or buying your, your CDs and things. So, and then stage five, of course, you're, you're at the professional level. So I, I call my stages the, um, the foundation and the foundation is like, you're just building your website. You're making sure you have any, you know, platforms online, that kind of thing. So the foundation, the promotion, the expansion, the automation and the profession. So when you're in the profession, like, Yes, you've arrived, but you've arrived into a whole new territory where you have to figure out, okay, now is it time for me to get a manager? Is it time for me to get a booking agent? Is it time for me to, you know, do some big crowdfunding campaigns? Do I want to look for a record label? That kind of thing. There's all next level decisions you have to make. Mm. But some artists are trying to make those decisions at stage one. And that's what I'm trying to protect people from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, I've written all of this into a book, and I'm so excited it's probably going to come out in beginning of 2019. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's all like laid out in, in you know, complete order and stuff um, of how to go through the stages. So I'm like, super excited about that. Oh, fantastic. You touched briefly on some artists that have kind of a big social media presence but that haven't necessarily performed what strategies and tactics have they used to build their, their online presence without the, the gigging, the live gigging side of things? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, I think they just like social media. <laughs> like, I think they just, you know, they, they like connecting with people, but they haven't quite, like they're afraid to connect their performing side mm. to that side of them. I've definitely met some artists like that where it's mm. like, but, but if I, you know, if I put my music in front of them, are they still going to like me? That kind of thing. Yeah. Like they like me as a person or, or they've built the social media about around something else. Like they, they like sharing recipes or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but then they want to move that into their music and they have a harder time. I think when we get, get into music, it's so personal. Mm -hmm. We're just, we have this fear that like, what if they won't like it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so true. 
<laughs> and then there's the musicians a lot of times who are like, I just want to make my music. I hate social media and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have to do all that. And I have to like, you know, back them off the cliff. Like it's not as bad as you think. Like social media is an amazing tool. Like you need to be grateful for it. Mm. And I understand that feeling of overwhelm that you can have. Yeah. So I get where they're coming from, but I have to try to make them understand how amazing a tool is like the fact that you can go live whenever you want. Like that wasn't even available when I was building my career. Yeah. Yeah. You can go live from the comfort of your own home. You don't yes. have to lug your gear anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. That actually leads me to another question about social media is I, I speak to quite a few people who say, you know, like you've got to be present on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook all the time. Is what's your approach to social media? Is it, do you, do you advise people to be on as many platforms as possible or do you, in your opinion, is it better for somebody to focus on one and, and build up a really strong following on that one platform? Absolutely. I agree with what you're saying. Like I, tell them to pick one or two. I do say that I think everyone needs to be on YouTube in some way, mm. um, but maybe it's not your, your growth mechanism. Maybe mm. you just prefer, um, like pick the thing where you like to hang out. Yeah. If you like to hang out on Facebook, I mean, it's, it's a combination of what you like to hang out on and where you think your potential fans will be. Yeah. yeah. And if, you, you know, if, I mean, I hate to like, be stereotyping here, but if, if your fans are older, they're probably on Facebook. If your fans are younger, they're probably on Instagram. If your fans are really young, they might be on Snapchat, but they're also probably on Instagram. Yeah. So, you know, I do think that like nowadays, and this is just maybe my bias, but I think that Facebook and Instagram are kind of the best platforms for musicians. Yeah. But, you know, that could be different next year. So you just yeah. need to kind of it watch it. Fast. Yeah, it changes. <laughs> but if you choose a platform, like I've had some people that are like, I know I need to be on Twitter. And then like they try and they just hate every minute of it. I'm like, just get off of Twitter. Like, don't waste your time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's really refreshing to hear that, actually. And it does seem, especially for musicians, it seems like we're kind of visual creators as well, um, that YouTube is becoming or, it, you know, is, is maybe one of the biggest platforms now for people to absorb new content and discover new artists. And it seems that if you are able to get yourselves featured, get a link to a YouTube video featured on relevant blogs or say, for example, websites, it's almost like doing a gig in a way because you're getting put in front of that person's audience. And I've heard some stories of music artists really expanding their, their audience just through getting that kind of one or two YouTube videos featured. Do you think that's a solid strategy for marketing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's harder, I think, to interact on YouTube. I mean, people mm -hmm. will comment, but I think people are more likely to comment on like a Facebook live. Mm -hmm. But um, I do think that it is absolutely an important, I think you should be on YouTube. I think that like my daughter, she listens to all of her music on YouTube and she makes mm -hmm. playlists and stuff. Mm -hmm. you now, maybe if she had Spotify, she would switch, but she seems to like to discover new music on YouTube and she discovers it a lot of times based upon like what YouTube recommends. Yeah. Right? So okay. if that's yeah. one cool thing about YouTube is if you can somehow associate yourself with artists that are similar, that are more popular, you know, then you can get yeah. recommended. 
Yeah. Well, I feel we could just chat for hours and hours, but I will, I'll move the conversation along to the questions that the dreamers have submitted so that we allow enough time to cover these. So Sabiso so asked, how does the business world in music compare to the business world in general, retail investment and entrepreneurship? Also, when marketing an album for release, what are the most effective marketing strategies and implementation methods that you recommend? Well, I would say, you know, for the answer to both of those questions, I'd say like one thing that the music business and other businesses have in common and that can help you market your release is that it's all about a story. You know, you need to tell your story or your music's story in order to get people hooked and get interested Mm. in it. And it's the same with brands, you know, it's the same with, um, any other business, like people don't generally like they might like a product, but if they get the story around that product, like I think of somewhere like Trader Joe's, I'm like addicted to their podcast because I like their food, but I love hearing the story behind what they do and why they choose certain things and how they choose them. And you know, the things they did that failed, like I love that. It makes me more excited to eat their food and to go to their store and buy it. Yeah. Um, And I think that anytime that we can get people that behind the scenes and when you're releasing something, you know, make a behind the scenes videos about that. Talk about why you created the song, what, Mm. you know, the story behind it was. Talk about some of the experiences you had while creating it or while being in the studio or when you performed it live. You know, I mean, if I were to do it today, you know, I had a song that I wrote about um, my grandmother having Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. and there's so much I could do a backstory of that, how it started out as a poem that was written by my aunt in her experience, taking my aunt to the, my grandma to the doctor. And then how I took that poem and I created music out of it. And you know, how I came up with certain phrases within the, the song and then, you know, how I sang it at a coffee shop and a guy came up to me and said, my dad has Alzheimer's and that really touched me and handed me a $20 bill. You know, like there's so many stories that I can tell around that song, hmm. just that one song. So think about the stories that you can tell and then get those stories out in front of people, whether you're telling them live on Facebook Live, whether you create a YouTube series that you can send people to. Um, and that's gonna be, I think, the key to getting people excited about your music, not just your mm-hmm. music. I mean, your music already has to be good. Hmm. I think you have to create a whole nother aura around it. Yeah. Um, then as far as how the, the music industry is different from other businesses. I would just say, I don't know. The music industry is weird. Um, It's, it's similar in that like we are all entrepreneurs as musicians and, you know, we're like running a startup kind of, and you, you can't rely on other people or getting money Mm. Um, to do it, you just have to kind of be ingenious and figure out how to fund it yourself. I think that's, that's really true about a lot. I mean, that's how my business works. I don't have any investors, you know, I just had to start it on my own and start it on mm. faith and, and know that I had the ingenuity to figure it out along the way. Mm. And that's, that's all that we're doing as musicians. Mm. Yeah, totally. 
I love the idea of creating backstory videos. I think that's such a beautiful and personal touch. Um, would you recommend a certain length for the videos? Well, I think it depends on the way you're delivering it. If you're delivering YouTube videos, I would say like three to five minutes. Um, and if you're doing like a Facebook live, you really do need it to be longer because if you want people to show up live, it takes a little longer for people to show up. Hmm. Uh, if you're doing a Facebook live, I would do kind of a, you know, perform the song or tell a story, then perform the song and tell another story or something like that uh, format. But um, I just think, you know, I, I had a student that did this for her release and she did backstory videos for several of her songs. And then she could, she could split them up or she made them all into one reel. So if you wanted to see like the backstory on the album, you could watch the whole thing or you could split them up and put them out on social media in little bite-sized pieces. Mm. You can, you know, distribute them to your email list over time to get them excited about the release. Mm. That's really nice strategy. How long would you recommend a Facebook Live or the minimum length for a Facebook Live? I mean, I'd say probably 10 minutes. I'd mm -hmm. say 10 to 20 minutes is probably a good length for, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing like a full set, you could do up to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but it does take people a little bit to show up. I would definitely, if you're doing a Facebook Live, like don't just rely on the, on the algorithm to send people there, like really promote it. Whenever I do my Facebook lives, I put out, you know, an image with a description of what's happening in the morning of, and then right before I say, well, live now and tell them to click over there. Yeah. And sometimes I promote with email as well because people are busy. Yeah. You know, not going to see that little notification. Great, great, great tips in there. Thank you. <laughs> Lavisa, I hope that answers your question. A question here from Ryan. How do you overcome inertia, even on the days when you really felt like doing nothing? And how do you tell the difference between being lazy and actually needing a day off due to burnout, exhaustion, a particularly painful event, and things like that? Mm. That's a really good question. Um, that is a very good question. Like, how do you tell whether you're just, and not even just being lazy. Like what if you're, you're resisting because something is hard or uncomfortable versus you're burnt out. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. you know, the psyche is hard to, to probe sometimes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but I mean, one thing that I do, and I actually wrote an article recently in a podcast about burnout because I've definitely been there. Um, and I see a lot of musicians like on the edge and I want to pull them back and make sure that they don't jump off the burn off cliff, the burnout cliff, because mm. sometimes you don't come back from it. Sometimes yeah. you just, you, you hate, you know, you hate the thing that you once loved and yeah. then it's hard to go back. So, yeah. um, one thing that I recommend is setting up a system where you, you choose just three things to do each day that will make you progress. And those could be things that take anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, an hour and a half, depending on how much time you have. But if you're having a bad day, 
you know, if you're feeling like so much resistance or just not like he said, you know, you're going through a difficult time, pick three 20 minute things, spend one hour working on music and then call it a day. And then the great thing about that is that you, then you don't feel guilty. Mm. You'll be like, I did these things, I made progress today, and I can feel accomplished. And don't, number one, don't go look at that laundry list of things that you have to do, because mm. that will just kill your spirit. Mm. You know, I, I don't, I use a sauna and I organize what I do, but I, I move things to particular days and I don't put more than three things on a day. Then if I get those things done and I'm like, oh, this day's going great. Look at how much I've got accomplished and I've still got two more hours. Then I can push on to things that I've assigned to other days. But for those days that are just like, there's distractions, there's stuff, you know, I have a kid homesick or it's summertime and they want to go to the lake or whatever it is. I can be like, hey, I did these three things. Now I can go and do what I want to do guilt-free and not feel like I'm being lazy or I should be doing work. Cause I think the biggest thing that the biggest difficulty that we fall into is when we're working, we're distracted by personal stuff. And when we're doing personal stuff, we're thinking why, you know, we should be working on music stuff. And then you're never fully present anywhere. And I'm totally guilty of this. So I'm not <laughs> saying I'm perfect on it. I, it's something I've been really working on. So, especially cause this year I have a homeschooling daughter. Wow. So it's like, it's hard for me to be present with her when she needs help with her school because I'm like, this is the middle of my work day. I need yeah, to be yeah. working on this and this, but it, so it's not, it's, it's a daily commitment. It's not something that you just get over. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. And um, what was the tool that you mentioned? Asana. Is it Asana. A-S-A-N-A. Um, that's a, it's a productivity tool that I like to use, um, that you can organize projects within there. You can assign due dates. You can even put other, if there's people on your team, you can assign stuff to them too, but I mostly use it just for myself. It's free and you can use it on your phone or your desktop. And I just find it to be, I mean, especially like when I get up in the morning, sometimes my mind is not all there. Like what do I need to be working on? And it's nice to just sit down and look at something and like, oh yeah, these are my three things. I don't even have to think very hard. Yeah, totally. That's great advice. Thank you, Brie. Welcome. Another question. Actually, Matthew has two questions. The first one is, how can we overcome the fear of failure and channel negative energy to positive ends? Mm. Well, I think my number one piece of advice for this is become part of a community. If you're in Liz's community, then it's already daydream believers, right? That's the name yeah, of it. Yeah. If they're, if you're in that community, you already have this, but utilize it. Um, mm -hmm. If you're having that negative feelings and that fear of failure, having a place that you can actually be authentic about that and talk about the fact that you're going through that. I truly believe that that is going to help you work through it because I can guarantee that everybody in that community has had those days mm, and they'll be able to be like, Hey, I know I was going through this last week and this is something that helped me. Or, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, push through or whatever their advice is, but not going it alone because 
if you're going it alone and you're having those negative thoughts, it's so much easier just to go deeper and deeper into your head and into the negativity. And um, there's just no outside force to pull you out of that. Mm. As far as like a fear of failure, I think we all have a fear, fear of failure, but sometimes you just have to be like, like here are my choices. My choices are to try this thing and I might fail or don't try this thing at all then I'll definitely feel the feel of feeling a failure because I didn't even try. Yeah. You know, we have to look at the, the, the opportunity cost, the opportunity cost of not trying is definitely feeling like you're a failure because you never even tried. Yeah. So true. So, So, and just keep in mind that like entrepreneurs fail, fail all the time. Yeah. They fail their way to success. That's right. And, yeah. and I tell, I tell my musicians, people in my community all the time, most of the time, the only one that knows that you failed is you, mm-hmm. you know, say you, you do this big, you know, single release campaign and like nobody buys it or whatever it is. Like there's not a big sign on the internet that said nobody buy bought this person's <laughs> Like you're yeah. the only one that knows that you failed. Yeah. And yeah, you probably just need to have a pity party for a day and then move on and be like, nobody even knows that that happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll try something different. I need to learn from that. Yeah, great advice. The second part of his question, actually, we've answered because he said, I'm very interested to know what the five stages of musical career growth are. Mm. I'm not currently a performing artist, and I wonder if this is something I should be doing. Some insight into career growth targets would be useful. Well, I think that the the five stages do give you growth targets, especially for, you know, what you should be seeing in your social media, what you should be seeing in your growing your email list, even if you're not performing. It depends on what kind of, if you're just a songwriter, then you're going to have a completely different, like your growth is going to be more about networking Mm. than actually growing a fan base because what you want to do is you want to sell your songs, you want to license them, you want other artists to perform them. That's a completely different path, Mm. I think. But whether you're performing in person or online, the five stages definitely apply to you. You just would execute your performances different. You would, you would do your performances online. You know, you do, Facebook live and concert window and things like that. If you didn't Mm. want to perform, I mean, sometimes what happens is I've got people that say like, you know, I live in Florida, but all of my fans are in Europe. Like the the only people that like my style of music are not in my local area. And that's when I have to say, okay, then you just have to, it's going to be harder for you because you're going to have to build all your fan base online. And you're just going to have to use the tools that are available to you like Facebook live and concert window and, um, you know, other, other opportunities that are online mm. to do that. Yeah. I know Matthew is, is a, he's an electronic music artist and, um, yeah, he's apprehensive <laughs> to perform live. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. Um, but if you do want to find out about the five stages, you can go to musiciansprofitpath.com and there's a whole masterclass there where I go through the stages. Amazing. I'll include that link uh, in there. I actually have one question, but I do, I am aware that the time is ticking. Do you have time to answer? I've one got more time question? for one more. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> then I got to go do some homeschooling. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> I realize that Facebook has an amazing built-in advertising um, platform in and of itself that you pay for. I get confused between uh, Facebook ads and just paying to boost a post or paying to boost your page. Are they the same thing or are they different? They are the same. If you're boosting a post that you're basically placing an ad. It's okay. just an easier way instead of going back into the Facebook ads manager and maybe getting overwhelmed by all the buttons and things. They just, they want to make it basically an easy way to take your money mm -hmm. by asking you to boost a post. Now the boost a post nowadays is a lot more sophisticated than it used to be. They give you a lot more options to target people and stuff. So I'm not against boosting a post, hmm. but you really need to have the biggest thing that I'm against is people boosting a post because Facebook says this post is doing what better than your other post hmm. boost it. And they don't have any kind of a strategy behind why they're spending money. I use Facebook ads. I'm not opposed to them, but you've got to have a strategy. Why are you doing this? Don't, don't just, like pay to get people to like your Facebook page without a strategy. Yeah. And nowadays the organic reach is so small. I would never pay any more to get people to like my Facebook page mm. unless I had a strategy behind it. Like, well, then I'm going to target those people and show them a video or something like that, or, or try to get them to get on my email list by showing them something, either a live stream or you know, maybe some giveaway that you're doing. Yeah. Does it actually go to people who want to see it or does it just go to a click farm where people are paid to kind of click? No, it doesn't phone? go to a click farm. It go, I can't <laughs> okay. say people want to see it. It, it. it goes to people that you think would be interested because of a certain targeting. Yeah. That doesn't mean they are interested and yeah. you know, there's, they're getting, you know, they get a lot of ads, so they might just brush right by it but the likelihood of the person wanting or in being interested in what it is is going to be higher if your targeting is correct but no it doesn't go to click farms okay that's good that's always been a question on my mind so that's good i'm glad i've got closure on that one thank you <laughs> No, I, I mean, I have people that have been like, I saw your Facebook ad, I went to your workshop, I joined your program, like I know how they got there. So I, they're real people. Cool, cool. That's reassuring to know. So Brie, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to come on the podcast and, and share your knowledge and your, your experience with us all. Where can people find you if they'd like to stay in touch with you and follow you? Well, first of all, you're welcome. And your community asks great questions and so do you. So I love it when people ask not the same old, same old questions, you know. Um, the best place to find me is to go to femmusician.com. That's F as in female, E as in entrepreneur, musician.com. You don't have to be a female to go there. There's tons of resources. It's just I like to highlight female artists and and do it from the female perspective but there's tons of guys that you know are on my list and grab my free resources and things so don't feel intimidated by the name femmusician.com um, my podcast is there and all kinds of other free resources as well as what i mentioned before if you want to know more about the five stages i have a whole master class on that at musiciansprofitpath.com and you can sign up to come to the master class Fantastic. Brie, again, thank you. Thank you so much. You are welcome. This has been super fun.
thanks so much for listening. It's my pleasure to be able to bring you guests who are experts in their field to help you continue walking the path of your dreams. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to know what you thought of it. So please do remember to subscribe in iTunes and give us a little rate and review. If the show resonated with you, please share it with someone you think would benefit from it. If you have a question or topic you'd like answered on the podcast, head to lizchirelli.com forward slash contact and pop me a message. If you'd like to join my coaching community, Daydream Believers, and connect with me on a deeper level, you can become a patron. Just head to patreon.com forward slash lizchirelli, where you can sign up quickly and easily. As a patron, you'll get access to the full range of my coaching packages, plus you'll get exclusive early access to all of my musical output.